0: On this week's Vero Beach Social Media Pop-Up Podcast, we have the owner of Studio 160, Barry Shapiro. Shot on-site at location at Coffee house, 1420, we talk art, ad production, and what's stayed the same over the last 40 years. Give it a listen. You're going to love it. I guarantee it. Here we go. Everybody to another episode of the Vero Beach Social Media Pop Up Podcast. I'm Curtis Carpenter, and I am here with Barry Shapiro this week. We are sitting at Cafe 1420. Thank you, Chef Michael, for allowing us to uh, use this. But Coffee House 1420. Coffee House 1420. Did I say Cafe? You did. You know what? I've been Googling Cafe 1420, and I don't find it. That must be why. <laughs> Good reason. Coffee House, fourteen twenty. Thank you, Barry, for get the it uh, <laughs> straight. Don't be late. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the correction. Uh, again, I'm here with Barry Shapiro. He's the owner of Studio Sixty. Did I get that right? No. Okay. Uh, well. I am one of.
1: <laughs> it's it's kind of a co-op uh, in a way. It's for artists. Uh, we just share a studio space. All right. uh, We call it Studio
0: on Sixty because it's an art studio and it's on Route sixty. See, all this stuff makes sense. I don't know why I'm not getting it, but it totally makes sense. But uh, anyway, get more sleep. Yeah, definitely need that. But uh, yeah, I'm here with Barry uh, from Studio on Sixty, and he was gracious enough to allow us to to, uh, shoot a podcast over there with Luke Holbauer, which came out last week. Which was Um, great. I saw it. Yeah, awesome. I'm glad you liked it. But uh, anyhow, Barry. We're gonna talk a little bit about Studio on 60, but what I really wanna talk to you about is you've got an extensive history as a video maker, producer, ad creator. You tell, well, let's not get into that yet. You will tell us a little bit about what you did, and I really wanna hear about it. But first, let's hear about Studio on 60. So keep going about this. Co-op with artists? Well, um, I've been in the arts and art
1: my whole life. and when I moved to Vero, I had been away from the fine arts for a while. And um, I, there was just an opportunity, you know, I, uh, for, uh, for a number of years, I owned Lighthouse Art and Framing on 14th Street. And, um, so, on, and so what I, uh, I saw it as an opportunity to get back into painting, which was my love. And actually what I had gone to college for, I went to art school, I went to uh, Pratt Institute and studied painting and printmaking. All right. So uh, I really jumped back into it. And then after I closed Lighthouse, I was painting in my little room that Patricia had allotted to me at home. And I (laughs) needed more room because I like to work large. And I started looking around uh, for space. And I ran into uh, another local artist, Zach Gruber. Um, Zach... And it was interesting. Uh, Zach and I didn't know each other that well, but we had a lot of shared history. We both went to Pratt. We both were painters and artists, but also we both uh, worked in the film industry. Interesting. Uh, So um, we said, well, you know, let's look for a space together. We looked for a while, and then we were very fortunate to find this place right here. Uh, we have a great uh, landlord, Joe Cataldo, who worked with us. And um, so we moved in, And but we were looking for other uh, people to share the space. And, um, uh, you know, we've had different people in and out. Right now, it's Zach, myself, Lisa Cave, a lovely young artist. And as of this week, uh, Mary Lou Mullen has come in with us. And. Usually for three or four months in the winter, uh, a gentleman named uh, Jay comes down from New York and uh, he's an older gentleman and he likes to come in. and I think he likes to get out of the house <laughs> and he comes in and paints with us as well. Okay. So, so it's a studio. It's not a gallery. It's not a gallery. Uh, it, it's a studio. It's a working studio. We occasionally, you know, before the pandemic, we were doing art classes occasionally in there and different projects. We had uh, open studio night. Um, We would do the art strolls, but we're not really
0: a gallery. It is a working studio. It's not, uh, you know, white walls and paintings in the walls. It's it's a mess. Well, I'll tell you from shooting that podcast in there, it's definitely a working studio. We had to move some massive easels with big pieces of art around in order to accommodate. But uh, it's a really cool spot. How often... How often are you in there? Or at least one person in there, maybe not you. Well,
1: we all. one of the good things, we all like to work different times. Zach likes to work at night. I like to work in the afternoons. Lisa's usually there in the morning. So it, it varies, but we can all be in there at the same time. Um, I tr- Honestly, I try to get in there every day when I don't have to be somewhere else. Like on Fridays, I teach art. So I'm not in the studio on Friday. But I try to be in there Monday through Saturday... Um, otherwise, or even Sunday, and um, <clears throat> I usually go in you know sometime in the afternoon, and we'll work three, four hours uh, when, as I can. Where are you, where are you <laughs> teaching art? I teach at Suncoast uh, Primary School up by the airport. Really? Yeah. I had no clue. You know, it's um, I did I started this last year for the first time. I've taught at the college level and high school level. Um, this opportunity came up and I just, I don't know why I said, you yeah, I want to see if they'd be interested in me. And I was shocked when they hired me. <laughs> uh, I really was. And I love it. I love it. This is my second
0: year. It's not easy, man. It is hard work. How old are these kids? Uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. So and, right, now I'm going to go deeper into this because I had no clue about any of this. Which are the easier kids to teach, the five-year-olds or the 13-year-olds? Um, okay.
1: The easiest class is kindergarten. Okay. I could walk in there because that class is also the shortest. It's only half an hour. I could walk in there and go, boo, for half an hour, and they would go, yay. <laughs> they, anything I do, they love it. Right. Uh, they're, they're, they're adorable. The oldest kids, the seventh and eighth graders, they're they're great. They're really great. The toughest kids are really those you know, like the third, fourth, fifth graders, because they're just full of hormones. They're just jumping all the time. They they have basically two. They talk at two different levels, loud and screaming. Interesting. And it's (laughs) you know you've heard the term it's like herding kittens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many kids are in a class? Uh, it varies um you figure on average it's about 10 kids in a class okay all right so not too bad it's not bad yeah. but you know uh, it, you know i got probably about 13 14 fifth graders and you know i'd like to strangle them half the time <laughs> i love them but you know last last week last friday was great we had uh, tie-dye day oh so every kid in the school had white t-shirts and we did tie-dyes all day and Man, it was so funny, especially with the kindergartners. They're bringing back to the 60s and 70s? Oh, dude. (laughs) Peace peace out, babe. Uh, I told the kids it was funny. I said, okay, we've got two ways of doing this. The first way is the traditional tie-dye. I call it the Grateful Dead look. And they're all looking at me like, what's he Who's Uh, that? uh." You know, and that's where you sort of make big round design on your shirt. And the other is a more uh, modern look where you kind of roll the shirt up and you get stripes. Most of them were like, I don't want to do Grateful Dead. I don't even know what that is. You know, I just want to do stripes. So,
0: But it was funny. Really fun stuff. <laughs> Again, I had no clue that you were teaching art. Um, I would have definitely put it into my notes to ask you about, but I think we got more out of it because I didn't know that yeah. you were doing it. You know, <laughs> I, because I'm not a trained
1: teacher, I don't have a you know degree, a certificate in sure. teaching. I tr- I do things differently. I'm not your normal <clears> teacher. Um I always look for projects that can be done where they can work as a team or where they're doing the same project and they have to look at what the other kids are doing and interact. Um, I try to make it more than about art. These kids, most of them are not gonna grow up to be Picasso. Sure, sure. Uh, But if they can have a certain kind of experience to bring art in their life, that's what I'm looking for. So um, this, uh, this year, there was a wonderful, wonderful exhibit at the Vero Beach Museum of Art, the uh, Christo and Jean-Claude exhibit. Oh,
0: was that the? where they had the big, yeah, the where, big stuff they hanging rapped, everywhere? Yep. You know, they wrapped um,
1: Christo and Jean-Claude, uh, fam- worldwide famous artists yep. for wrapping, like right now in Paris, France, the Arc de Triomphe is wrapped in canvas. Right. They've wrapped the Reichstag in Berlin. They wrapped, uh, three islands in Biscayne Bay in Miami if you re- recall that yep. Yep. so um, this was a terrific exhibit because not only did it show some of the, what they wrapped but it showed their process drawings and plans uh, so the kids I took the, the tool the seventh and eighth graders I took them to see it they flipped out yeah and now they're you know they're wrapping they wrapped a, uh, a sculpture that we made last year that's in the parking lot they
0: wrapped that and now we're wrapping a tree. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, I met with uh Sophie over at the museum and we did some work with them uh to try and promote that. We when they have exhibits coming, um we usually end up doing something with, with them. Um let me say this.
1: Kudos to the museum. They're great over oh, there. Awesome. Sophie, Sarah. They they were so generous and uh, allowing us to come in the way they did. uh it was a great experience.
0: Yeah, no, uh, vera beach Museum of Arts always doing phenomenal things. Yeah. Um it's it's one of the coolest places you can go. I mean, it's a nonprofit museum, but if you walk in there, and tell, I mean, it looks like a million bucks. Well, look, you have to think about it. this is a little town. Bear Beach is
1: not a big town. Yeah, it's a little town in you no, know, not a big county, and we have a world class art museum for sure. A world class
0: art museum with world class work in it. So I mean, how how fortunate are we to have that here? Yeah. Uh laficomania Mania, I don't know if you saw when they had the French posters and all that stuff up there, but we did a lot of work with that and it was so cool seeing these yeah. old posters and old work. But it got into advertising a little bit because that was an original way to advertise. I mean yeah. they'd go out on the square and they'd hold these posters and put them up and it was really cool for me to see how we've advanced in the last I don't know 150 years yeah. on advertising. But sure. uh posters were the way it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, speaking of advertising, speaking of uh, how we advertise, I want to talk to you. I want to kind of switch gears and get into your video production career. Talk to us about how that started, what you did, where you worked. I'm intrigued by this. Wow. Okay. So, um, as I said, I
1: went to art school. I went to Pratt. And I had had to work my way
0: through school. I had to pay my way through school. And And you told me the story about the Italian restaurant. Yes, Uh, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know... I
1: I would get their jobs, at, plus I had a job working at the school uh, work-study program. So um, anyhow, I, I knew a guy, his name was Casey, who uh, became a friend of mine. and he was, a, he was a year older than me, and he was a photographer, and he was into the film industry. And uh, one day he said, hey, you know, uh, you want to make a couple of bucks? I need an assistant, a production assistant, to work with me on this TV commercial shoot. I was like... Sure, and money. You know, okay, money. Thirty-five dollars a day. It was a lot of money. This was nineteen seventy-two. Okay, thirty-five bucks. Hey, I'll take it. Yeah. So I went with him, uh, and my job was to sit in the truck when he went. We went from place to place to pick up equipment or drop off equipment or whatever. And the first, uh, I think, the first production I worked on was uh, a big thing for. Uh, time-life books, Okay, and we were pretending to blow up a building in the South Bronx in the ghetto. Um, and uh, a- a- with the Loazzo family, the fa- family is famous for imploding buildings. Okay. Uh, ironically, m- years later, I wound up working with Tom Loazzo, uh, who was a terrific cameraman, but that's another story. Anyhow, um so I was, you know, just sitting on the truck. And one day I was, I remember they were working in a studio on Madison Avenue and I was sitting on the truck making sure we didn't get a ticket or get moved. And this guy comes down and he says, they want you upstairs. And I said, me? He said, yeah, they want you upstairs. So <laughs> I go up and there was a, a fellow there who's the director, his name was Norm. I remember Norm very well. And Norm said, uh, hey, uh, Casey tells me you're an artist. I said, yeah, he goes, do you know how to paint? I said, yeah. He goes, great, come with me. And he takes me into this room and in this room, there are like three big fat raw turkeys and three big fat hams and all kinds of food and uh, all kinds of other stuff. And he goes, look, our, uh, our home economist didn't show up today. Well, I don't know what happened to her, but she's either late or something and we're in a timeline. I need you to paint these turkeys, make them look like they just came out of the oven. And I was like, you're kidding. (laughs) He said, no, that's what I need. I was like, okay, well, uh, what do I use? He goes, you got paint, you got shellac, you got whatever you need, just do it. It's all here. And I did (laughs) it. Of course, they didn't pay me any extra. I got my 35 bucks for the day, but it was an exciting thing. And I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. So I started working as a production assistant. Um, but I had no idea that I would get into that business. Uh, I wanted to be an artist. So when I got out of school, I I had a choice to go to grad school or do something else. And I choose, chose something else. I traveled for close to two years around the world.
0: That was my grad school. Gotcha. And, um, you probably learned more in that two years than you would have in grad school. (laughs) It was probably, going to art
1: school to start and then going around the world was probably the two defining moments in my life. So, man, I came back and, you know, I was trying to make it as a painter. And wasn't happening. And what I was doing at that time wasn't in Soho. So, I, uh, you know, started looking for work again. And I was bartending, and, you know, d- doing a lot of different things, some art-related things. And... Um, I, uh, I met a, 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 a very successful illustrator. We became friends named Marvin Maddison, and I was showing him some of the stuff that I was doing. And, and I said, Marvin, you said, I did get like work doing illustration. And he said, Don't show me anything unless you're willing to take painful criticism. <laughs> and I said, all right. Well, I got nothing to lose, so I looked at. He looked at my. The, uh, you know, I was doing printmaking at the time. He looked at all my stuff. And he Okay. And he wrote something on a piece of paper he hands it to me. I said, what's that? He says, that's the name and phone number for Judy Fendelman at New York Magazine. Go see her. And I started working as an illustrator. Oh, man. And so I was doing that. Um, and I got married, uh, which didn't last too long. But I was really struggling. You know? I wasn't making a lot of money. You know? It was a hard time. And I said, yeah, I got to get out of the house. I need to do something, I thought, you know, if I could work as a PA, even though it's 35 bucks a day and I make much more as an, doing illustration, at least I'm out of the house. Because, you know, the kind of illustration I was doing New York Magazine, New York Times, uh, Psychology Today, mag- these people would, call, all week long, I'd be going to take my book here, my book there, and then they call me on a Friday afternoon and say, we got an assignment for you to do Monday morning. Right, right. Uh, I <laughs> guess I'm not going to the beach this weekend. You know, right. it was driving me crazy. So. I called an old friend of mine a guy I had met from the, the business and I said, "You know, can I work as a PA? And he said, no, you're too old. <laughs> he said, I'm using these kids, they're making $75 a day. The price had gone up and I said, Joe, please, I, please, I'm begging you. I, I don't care. I'll do anything. He said, well, I'll tell you what, we're working on a big industrial for a GE. I could use some help. Come on in. So, They had me working in the office for a few days, and then someone came up and said, we need you on a crew tomorrow. Are you available? Absolutely. So I went with this small crew to Connecticut, to some supermarket, to shoot scenes. And I was the production assistant, but there was no other production assistant, and the director was really relying on me. And we got along, and the assistant director also and so those guys started to feed me work and i was i started working as a production assistant and i thought you know i could work in the prop department makes good money and i'm artistic i could do this so i started to sort of work my way into that and i was doing uh tabletop commercials whatnot as a props assistant and one day we were we were working on a mountain dew commercial okay And my job was to take care of all of these cases of soda and all of these props that we had for the spa. And I was very organized. And this guy walks up to me and he said, Barry, uh, right? He goes, you know who I am? I said, well, I don't know your name, but you're the guy who writes the checks, right? (laughs) He said, that I am. He said, and we have a new company that we're putting together, and I need a coordinator. Are you interested? And I said, "Uh, I I, I don't even know what that is. I, I've never done that. I don't know. He goes, well, I mean, that's part of, I, I, you're very organized. I see the kind of work you do and I can show you to do things the way I want you to do them. I said, well, he goes, I, what does it pay? He goes, about you know, at least twice what you're making now. I said, I'll do it. Of course. <laughs> and that was it. That's literally how I got into film, the film industry. What was the company? Uh, The the company I was working for at the time was called um, uh, Movie House, and the new company was called Normandy Films. And so I started working as the in-house coordinator for Normandy Films, and I soon learned that um, this guy who had hired me, he was not the most honest guy around. And I started to learn, if I want to be in this business... Don't do it the way he's doing it. Learn the right way. Sure. So I started to go around to other places, other companies and learn what the right way was. And um, I, uh, you know, I had worked my way up from coordinator to producer to finally, I was the guy at Normandy that was signing the checks. So whenever <laughs> Norman wouldn't pay anybody, they'd call me up and they'd say, it was a story and I'd pay them. Right. Um, in the meantime, I was learning the business. Uh, on the job I knew nothing about it but I was learning on the job I was learning about film and crews and you know I had worked on a couple of movies I had worked on a couple of TV shows but mostly doing TV commercials right and um, so one day we were shooting we we just do a lot of promos especially for television and Broadway and we were doing some stuff uh, we had NBC was a client and we were shooting, I'll never forget this, we were shooting in um, Caldwell State Penitentiary. (laughs) They had an old wing of the penitentiary that they used to use for movies and TV shows. And so we had set up in there and um, I had had set up a little office in in a cell. So it's just, uh, uh, I I was in there and uh, Jamie Ellis, James Ellis, who was my good friend, um, who's still my good friend, and she was the script supervisor. She's actually today, uh, she's Mrs. Um, Roger Deakins. I don't know if you're familiar with Roger Deakins, the Academy Award winning cinematographer. No. Fargo. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, 1914, films like that. Yeah. Um, anyhow, um, and we were in this little cell, and the, the head teamster, walks in. And now, no, I mean, you didn't mess with the teams. Jimmy Hoffa? No, no. Uh, the head teamster on the crew. Oh. The guy who, the trucks don't go out with this guy. And this guy, his name was Kenny Manchester. And Kenny was the biggest human being I've ever known. Not
0: as Italian as I thought it was going to be. No, I'm sorry. No. And Kenny was this massive guy.
1: I mean, I had seen him pick up things that five men could not pick up. And he walks in and, um, He walks into the cell, he's taking up like half the room in this jail cell. And he looks at me and he says, hey, I wanna talk to you, I wanna ask you something. Literally, that's what he sounded like. Okay. (laughs) In fact, they did a a parody of Film Teamsters once that was circulating and it was, the voice was meant to imitate Kenny. And uh, he said, you know, your boss is trying to handle me again. And I said, Ken, you know, don't worry about it, you know you know I'll take care of you and he goes I know that's why I came in to talk to you I said what he goes when are you going on your own huh. I said going on my own doing what he says when are you going to start your own company I said Kenny yeah, I don't know how to start. he says you'll be fine when you're ready you let me know and he walks out well several months down the road I got a call from uh, an ad agency producer who we've done a lot of work with at uh, big ad agency y Young and Rubicam. And I think he would, at that point he might have been working for Jay Walter Thompson. I don't know; these guys moved around. But his name was Peter, and he called me up and he said, "Hey, I've got a, a, a little job I want you to do. It's tabletop." I said, uh, "Okay, you know, sh- shoot it over to Norman's office, and I'll go pick it." He said, "No, no, 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 no. This is for you." Nice, nice. I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I don't want Norman involved. This is for you. This is a small. You can do this." I said, "Well, you gotta have a company to do it." He says, "Get one." Fill like, <laughs> out the paperwork, Barry. Come on. So I, you know, my my good buddy Tony, uh, whose daughter Allie is getting married f- Friday. She's my goddaughter, um, and uh, my good buddy. I, he's an attorney. And I call him up. I said, "Tony, I need a company like Monday," and he said, "Well, dude, you don't have the money to start another." I had already started a design company that failed and he said just use the design company I said it's a weird name I don't know it's not right for the film business and he said Barry save yourself 300 bucks just use it (laughs) and the name of that design company was Look Ma No Hands okay so I just shortened it to No Hands Productions and um, we did this it was for uh, the commercial was for Theragram Vitamins okay And I did it and um, it worked out. And I started doing all these little
0: jobs uh, here and there. Uh, Did you call Kenny Manchester and say, hey, I got no hands
1: production. So this is what happened. So um, this guy uh, I knew, uh, an assistant director, comes up to me one day. His name is David. And he said, hey, I hear you've got a company. And I said, well, yeah, I got a little company. He said, here's my reel. Get us work. And I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, You're Jewish, figure it out. (laughs) 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 Okay. So, and I got us work. I don't know how it happened, but we had this job to do. It was like a real job with actors and stuff. (laughs) And so I I needed a camera, a big camera, and I wanted to get a Panavision camera. And Panavision was special. It was different than the other film cameras. There were only so many Panavision cameras, and you had to be a big company. To, there, were all, there were only three companies in, a, in the United States at the time that actually rented Panavision. General in New York, Claremont, and, uh, I think it was Claremont in L.A., and then this company in uh, Miami. That was it. So I called up Panavision, and they knew me from Normandy. Right. And I asked them for a camera, and they said, Barry, there's no way you're getting you know, go to, go to one of the other. I said, yeah, my, my cameraman really wants to work with Panavision and so-and-so. Come on. And they're like, Barry, no, there's no way. We, get, we're, you know, we got cameras booked up, Steve Horn, Bob all these big names. You're not getting a camera. And I'm, like, and I'm talking to the camera rental, the head of the camera rental department. Who knows me? Right. Now. I said, Sal, please help me. out. This is nothing I can do. Call Scotty. Scotty was the head of the rental department. I call up Scotty, and he says, "Barry, there's no way, right? No way. First of all, you don't even have an account with us." Yeah. Anyhow, I said, "All right, you know." So I, I hang up the phone. And I said, right, "I'll get a camera from someone at Camera Mart or some other company." About half an hour later, my phone rings, and it's Sal, the camera department regular guy, and he says, "Barry, yes. who the hell are you?" I said, "Uh, what do you mean? He goes, because I got to give you a camera. And I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, why? Just asking why? He goes, because if I don't give you a camera, none of the other cameras are going out the door. Kenny Manchester. Kenny Manchester. That's
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's how I got started. And uh, No Hands Productions uh, was in business for uh, about 10, 11, 12 years. And then
0: I went out on my own as a director. So now we're going to get into the nitty gritty about the differences and the things uh, about shooting back in the 1970s and shooting in 2020. Oh, well, you can't compare. I mean, it's totally different worlds now. Well, first right? of all, we didn't use vi- we didn't use video. I mean,
1: there was no video. Uh, there was video. Uh, video was used in TV. Okay. Uh, there was some video being shot but you got to understand that there were no like you know today a video camera's you should your phone has more information on it than any video camera back
0: in in the day so we've got one two three four five six six cameras shooting on us right now yeah and (laughs) so what we would do is we would do you know for a three camera
1: shoot we would have these cameras I mean, we, I remember some of the early jobs I used to do, shampoo spots. We would shoot with what was called a BNC. It was this camera, it was about yay big. And when it was uh, spooling the film, it'd be I
0: mean. So how do you kill the sound on it? Uh, like right now we have house music that's yeah. kind of loud, but I mean, these microphones are pretty good. We have some audio uh, editing that we can do. How do you kill the, the sound in the, the spool? First of
1: all, we were shooting 35 mm mil- TV commercials on 35 millimeter film. No, you know they don't do that anymore. Hardly any features are now being shot on 35 millimeter film anymore. Uh, It's everything is digital. Oh, for sure. I, um, you know, the first time I saw videotape was in a in a TV studio. I'd come in to shoot some stuff in this studio. Um, It was called Unitel, and the videotape was two inches thick. (laughs) And this phone has a million times uh, the capacity to have a million times more uh, data on it f- f- oh, than, yeah. than that two inch tape. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a different world. We used to shoot on film. We take the film that day, shot that day to the lab where they develop it overnight. We go in early in the morning, look at the rushes or the dailies, uh, uh, you know, on what they called... Um, uh answer prints okay. so these were low light prints uh check everything out make sure there weren't any big mistakes go back the next day and shoot again uh then we would send that film out to a, a place uh, like a movie lab or something like that and have the, it processed and then it would go to an editor who would cut on a movieola uh, you know literally cutting film right taping cutting the answer yep. film and then they would send that take the, the, his cut uh, answer print and would then uh, oops, uh, he would then uh, you know transfer it to uh, one piece of film right final final cut you know uh, and then we you know and then we start transferring it to, I remember when we started editing on videotape you know suddenly we were using three quarter inch to edit on <laughs> and then suddenly it was like well you know, this is really uh, paining it, but then we had like multiple umatics to cut, you know, A-roll, a B-roll, So And then, I, you know, one day I got a call. I had uh, invested uh, with a guy named Chris Strand, um, who was at the time with that MTV and uh, or Fred Allen or one of the big MTV agencies or something. And we had invested in our own editing company. Uh, Edit One, it was called. We had you know, umatics film and you know, all, all of this video, Equipment, And I got a call one day and they said, hi, uh, you're the producer at No Hands Productions. We'd like to, uh, and edit one, we'd like to introduce you to a brand new edit system. And I said, well, you know, I'm not really the editor. Chris is the guy who runs the edit company, but I, I'd like to see what you've got. And they, I made an appointment and on that day. I think it was a Wednesday and I walked from my office several blocks across town to this other office and I walk in. They had rented uh, some empty office space, so it was just a chair to sit in, right? And after a while, someone comes. well, come on into this room. And I go in and there is a Macintosh computer, a, a tower type computer on the floor and three monitors and a keyboard. And I said, so what are we doing? And they said, this is something called the Avid Digital Editing System. Let me show you how it works. And I was, after that 45 minutes, I went back to my office. I called up Chris and I said, sell everything. We're doomed. <laughs> now, you, you know, people do the exact same type of editing. They right? do it
0: on their laptops. Yeah. I mean, we're cutting. We're cutting film. That's what they call it. Yeah. It's funny to me. But, uh, you know, we cut film. We splice it. We slice it. We tape it. We move it. We merge it. We do everything without ever touching anything except right. for a mouse and a keyboard. Yeah. And yeah. all of those systems
1: are based on the old systems that were developed, right. you know, back before the day, right? It's crazy, man. Yeah, the when when for example when you when you're editing, uh, you probably keep things in what they call bins, right? Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, bins were literally bins, bins on wheels that, you know, they had uh, a canvas bottom. And they had things that came up with little spikes off of them, and that's what you hung the film on. So this bin was for these scenes, and this bin was for that. Those bins, that
0: because they were bins, they were actual bins. They were actual bins. <clears throat> Reminds me a little bit of when I was an X-ray tech. I was a tech when we went from film to digital. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I remember hanging film, one of the first jobs I ever had was hanging film in a, in a, a reading room where the radiologist came in and read film on um, these multi-board, I can't even remember what they call them, but these multi-board light boxes, these view boxes, and that went away and all of a sudden the same room was there, but we pulled the light boxes out, put computers in, and now they read off computers. Yeah. And again, I haven't been in the field in a while, but that's how they do it now. Sure. But I remember that transition yeah. and it was tough for a lot of tough for a lot of people. I mean technologically illiterate radiologists had to go from moving actual film to typing and, and, yeah. and scrolling and sure. you know you had to change the window or the, the level And yeah. oh man it was, it was wild so I can't imagine I mean I, I saw that transition from like 2000 maybe 1999, 2000, 2001 and then I got out in about 2015 so that 15 years was unbelievably different you know, from 2000 to 2015, it was just another world. Yeah. You're talking about 19... You started doing film work in, what, 72? Well, I, well uh, as a PA, <clears throat> I mean, I started No Hands Productions
1: in probably, I'm thinking, 85. Okay.
0: Well, you started the production company, but you saw film being produced oh, yeah. in the early 70s. Yeah. We're in the early 20s, 50 years. I can't imagine the world of difference. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... It, it's
1: extraordinary, it's, it's a different industry
0: today. So we all know that there's a million differences. What do you see in commercial shooting specifically, because we're in marketing, what do you see specifically that is the same? Um, you either have talent
1: or you don't. That's the big thing. There, are, One of the things that digital technology did is it opened up the industry to everyone which on some levels is a good thing. But on another level, it watered down the field of creativity. What I find is that even today, the cream always rises to the top. The people who are you know, visionary, give them a break and they will do incredible things. Um, anybody can go out with a camera and shoot stuff and put it on YouTube uh, yep. every day. But, you know, most of the stuff you see is like, okay, I could do that.
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) Uh, And if you look at, you know, I spent most of my career in television commercials and advertising, and I did everything from write commercials to art direct them, to produce them, to direct them. Uh, I I pretty much understand what that industry was and what it is not today. Um, So much has changed, but the one thing that hasn't changed is talent if you've got real te- you know if you watch s- most commercial if you sit down for an hour and watch any given you know watch tbs or uh, cbs or whatever you're going to see you know for every hour of, uh, of programming you're going to see 32 minutes of ads you're not going to realize that right but, right you know <laughs> and you're getting bombarded with advertising and there are there are ads that you look at and go oh wow that's, that's really that's really good right and then most of them you'll sit there and go I don't know what that is I don't care what did I just watch yeah. <laughs> or, or, you won't even say that because you right. won't remember you won't really care right and then there are the ones that you'll see and and this was a, a philosophy that I never ever bought into but they're so bad almost intentionally bad right right Um. They're, local, they're usually local, uh, no, not always, but usually they're local, and they're just so bad that you're <laughs> like... Uh, and you'll remember it because it was so bad. Right. But the one, you know, for example, I, I have to say right now, some of the best advertising that I have seen on television <clears throat> is being done for Publix. Really? They're doing, I don't know who their agency is, but they're writing some beautiful, heartfelt stuff that sticks with you. Yeah. And, you know, my wife and I, my wife also worked in the industry for years and years. And we so, should have Patricia on. Yeah, <laughs> you should get her on, but she won't do it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we watch these things and we see them from a different, maybe a jaundiced eye, I don't know. But we see them differently than most people.
0: And, no, I totally get that.
1: Yeah, and we, you know, we sat there. We were watching some ads that uh, we were watching. She was like, wow, it's good. And it was for Publix. We were shocked. Yeah. so whatever agency is working for them now
0: is doing a great job I have to look it up yeah. I have to figure out who that is that's yeah. interesting yeah. so
1: um, you know I think that's the technology is always going to change things are faster easier you know you, you know the first video cameras you know were garbage yeah you know? yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I uh, remember my boss, Norman, we, we had done a big package for the U.S. Navy. We were down in, uh, this, again, back in the, uh, in the early 80s. In fact, I know what, it was 1980, exactly.
0: Uh, you remember the Phillies, one of the World Series or something? That, that's how no, I remember years. No, it was the year I got married. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's why I remember. And uh, we were shooting
1: this big package for the Navy. Remember, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. And we were down in Puerto Rico on this destroyer for like a week or so, shooting all of this stuff. And we wanted, uh, it was uh, it was October when we went down there. So uh, we came back, we finished the commercials and whatnot. My boss, Norman, wanted to, it, there was a lot of payola, so to speak, in those days. And we wanted to give our clients uh, some really nice Christmas gifts. So Norman spent a, a small arm and a leg and bought these brand new things, the hottest thing, video cameras. They were this big. <laughs> <laughs> they came in boxes this big. And I I was the guy who brought them up to the agency to deliver them. And I, you know, I remember, you, you know, know uh, the the, Producer Rob, and he was like, Oh, you know, thank you so much. We gave him that with a box of Cuban cigars. And uh, we gave it, you know, to the, uh, the art director. And he was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then we gave it to the writer who was, the, you know, kind of the head uh, creative. And uh, <laughs> this is another thing that's a little different. He looked at me and he went, What's this? He said, Merry Christmas, you know, from Normandy Films. And he went, are you kidding me? Get this garbage out of here! Said, oh, what he goes? Cash.
0: Take and it back. Next day, I was back <laughs> with you know a, few, a couple grand in an envelope. <laughs> what? Must have nice thing. to be working for Normandy Productions in Christmas of nineteen eighty. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but that's what yeah. the industry was like. Right, I mean, the industry was
1: crazy back in those right. days. I had a drug budget.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh my god. On, on all the big shoots, I had a drug budget because <laughs> everybody was doing drugs. So how accurate? Did, uh, I'm assuming you watched Mad Men. Nope. You never saw Mad Men. I lived Mad Men. I, I know, know, but I, I wanted to ask you how accurate it was. <laughs> I know it's a
1: little before your time. People, but. people would always say, "Oh, what did you think of Mad Men?" Right. And I said, I, "I, I had no interest. I lived that. I, I, knew about the three martini lunch. Right. Right. I knew about the drugs and the, the you know, all and of the, the inappropriateness it. and all. Of, <laughs> I, I lived that." I didn't really want to relive it. I didn't really care.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there were a lot of great times, but there were probably some pretty shitty times, too. It was hard. You know, people don't realize it was hard work. Yeah. You know, people, oh, how glamorous, glamorous. Well. That's what's on AMC, not in real life. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No. It was really hard work. Yeah. First of all,
1: there was a lot. There were a lot of people wanted to be in that business. Yeah. So. As I said, the cream would always rise to the top. if you weren't like really good at it, you weren't at it very long, right right. You had to bust your butt you know and you know you you worked long, long hours. I mean we made a lot of money right sometimes I've seen amounts of money right but um, we worked for it we worked really hard uh, not just not just because we put in long hours, but you know long arduous hours. we did all kinds of things you had to think on your feet and you got to remember. You never did the same thing twice, right? Everything was always new. You were always creating, recreating, you know,
0: every, everything had to be, you know, recreated every day. Andy, does this sound kind of familiar? (laughs) This is, you know, I know that it was, uh, I know that it was different back then, but, uh, you're, you're describing advertisers lives today. They say the product is never finished. You know, you can always keep working on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: Today yeah. is a lot easier though because you have a digital version rather than physical. So yeah, we can do it on a laptop. Yeah. I can empty you know. my recycle bin. Right? Look,
1: I remember I was telling someone the story the other day about uh, a uh, a shoot we did in Jamaica, Yaman. Um, this was this was this probably also when I was at Movie House, or nor or no, it was at Normandy, and we were shooting. Um, and part of what we had to do, we were shooting, uh, this was an early music video. Wow, a and music video. Yeah, oh, right. and we were shooting with this Jamaican reggae rock band, but also going down to shoot the Sun King Music Festival in Mo Bay. And I flew down from New York with the film and all the camera equipment. I had 16 boxes of camera equipment, 16 boxes. <laughs> You know, of camera equipment. You know, today you walk around. Yeah. With this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we have a lot of equipment, as you can see. We have a big truck, like a, a big, dude, like this. But, you but call it's not, this a lot of equipment? It's not got, sixteen boxes, but yeah. we have a lot of equipment. You got you got a couple of bags of stuff, man. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what you got. It is nothing. <laughs> most of it's backup stuff, anyway. That's what, you know, most of the cameras we use well, primarily too, but
1: you got to have that what if, right? Well, of course, and you you know, you always want to do that, cover your cover your butt, but. You know, that's you, you're talking about the difference between then and now. And yeah. It's just one other of the differences. You know, film equipment.
0: It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, well, like thing. I said, my biggest question for you was, what's the same? And I do like your answer, which is, the you t- got to You got to have be, the, Yeah, you got to be good. You got
1: to have the bones. Yeah. you got to yeah. have the bones. Yeah. Because if you don't have the bones, you're just like, you know. Joe Blow on the street who's got a, you know, a a little
0: GoPro and hey, I can shoot. Right, right. And shooting good content is the same in 1968 as it is in 2021. Absolutely.
1: And people, you know, people can tell the difference. They might not understand the aesthetics or what's behind it, but people know. Yeah. People will watch that like that public commercial that Patricia and I watched, just because we were professionals once. Right. We're still viewers. People will watch that and they'll be moved. It was an, a moving message uh, in this piece about family and all right. of that, as opposed to something that's kind of slapped together. You know, um, I, I won't mention the, the, the name. There's a guy uh, who was in the, uh, I guess, in the mortgage business or something, and he was running these ads, and they were. You know, just kind of a close up on him. And he was talking about his personal experience, why he got into the business, why, you know, he uh, believed that debt was damaging and he wanted to mitigate debt for his customers because of what it had done to his family. These were really straightforward. You know, he had on a suit but no tie. And he was, and we're thinking, you know, this guy's got a great approach because people will believe. Right. And these ads were running for months. And then one day we saw him, and suddenly he's got this big digital display behind him, and he's like, hey, I'm... And it's like huckstering, and I'm like, oh. He just lost his brand. He just lost his brand. Like that. that. He came across as a total... Yeah. Can I use the word schmuck? You say whatever you want. Oh, good. (laughs) He came across like a schmuck, like just another huckster, you know, trying to get your dough. Right. As opposed to... I'm serious about helping my customers and helping you.
0: Right. And if you're
1: interested, you know, look me up. Yeah. That's an approach where people say, oh wow, that guy seems like a good guy. I want to go there and talk to him. As opposed to everybody else is like, hey, 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 look at me, look yeah. at
0: me. We uh, we do a lot of real estate stuff and we talk to realtors about that all the time is, the I literally right before we came here, I had a meeting with a realtor and I was talking about being authentic and genuine. It, it, you can't be salesy. People see right through it. Absolutely. Right through it. Be authentic, be who you are. And like you said, you have to brand yourself. I mean, if, if you go and you're this guy today and that guy tomorrow, you're nobody. That's right. Because then people don't know what you are. Right, and then they won't trust you. So, and that's, I, yeah. trustworthiness not to cut you off is the biggest thing I think in any industry in any business. Absolutely. If I come, if, if, if I come here and this coffee, which was amazing by the way, but if this coffee I don't know. Wasn't very good. Why would I trust them to make a good coffee next time? Uh, they've lost my yeah. trust. So, well, you know, Michael, um, let's you know, hats off to Michael Glass. This place is it. unbelievably
1: I awesome mean, by the way. He has a <laughs> commitment to excellence. Yeah. That's what he, that's why he stands apart from other similar or, you know, places because of his personal commitment to excellence, which is what he infuses into his team. I mean, look around at this place, was beautiful. It's gorgeous.
0: Yeah, and, I, I, I love this place since they've opened up. I've popped in here every now and then. And there's another coffee shop around here. I won't mention the name, but I don't go there anymore. I come here and, and they're just great. like this place you know, a lot. And I like those yeah. people. They're great yeah. people.
1: They have good pride, but it's a yeah. different atmosphere. It's a yeah. different kind of thing. And yeah. so Michael has a commitment
0: to excellence. He
1: cares about he cares about that cup of coffee that you drank. It
0: was really good. And, you know, they had their one-year anniversary just recently, and uh, we came in and had coffee sitting out there. We had it. It was good then. And every time I come in here, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, amazingly amazingly yeah. good. I'm going to try and get him on one of these podcasts eventually so nice. we can sure. talk about this place. He's, oh, he's got stories to tell. Let me tell oh, you yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, getting back to uh, the industry, as I said, I think the one thing that never changes it is excellence, you know, um, I think I said the cream rises to the top, yeah. you know, if you have talent and you have a commitment and you're willing to do what it takes to get the job done, you'll go places. Yeah. And You know, it doesn't matter if you'll go places in the digital world or whatever, right. in whatever, that I think holds true for whatever business you're in.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'll agree with that. It's really all I had. Who wins tonight? I know that this podcast won't air until, like, the World Series, but we are shooting this on the day that the Yankees and Red Sox are playing a wild card game. So we don't know who wins. We do not. And, you know, I'll be home,
1: like, biting my nails on the sofa.
0: <laughs> and, well, Andy uh, behind you is a big Red Sox fan, so uh, well, I don't, I don't uh, know if you have I'm any I'm pretty
1: sure the Red Sox are going to win. Talk, Talk to the oh. hand. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> i I got to tell you, I have no idea. I'm... You know, I was born and raised in the Bronx. I'm a diehard, lifelong Yankees fan. Uh, I love baseball. Baseball's my my game. I love it. But, um, you know, tonight, it's anybody's game. Uh, You're going to have two very good pitchers, both who stunk it up last
0: time they were pitching. Uh, So they'll both be looking for redemption. Well, as we talked about, Garrett Cole isn't usually bad two games in a row, right? That's right. We'll see. but you know
1: it's fenway park and in fenway park anything can happen like i told you earlier you know 1978 uh 77 78 whatever it was you know the famous bucky and dent home run i was there i was working in boston at the time <laughs> uh well we won't talk about what happened in that world series either so right so but uh
0: you know i think the dodgers they got a tough one tomorrow yeah uh, and then and then if the dodgers win tomorrow by the way we're shooting this on Tuesday, whatever the date is, the, the 5th, yeah. uh, the Dodgers play Wednesday, October 6th, which is my son's 13th birthday, by the way. He's a big Dodger fan, so they're going to have to win for that. But if they win, then they got to play the Giants. So 107-win Giants versus 106-win Dodgers, possibly. That's going to be great. Oh, man. Well, I hope I hope it's them and not the 85-win Cardinals or whatever. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, look, Cardinals came on so strong. Like, they I'm remind me a lot... For- I'm sorry to cut you off. They remind me a lot of the Nationals in 2018. Yes. yes. Twenty nineteen Cardinals. Or Nationals. The Nationals. I agree. Oh, my I agree. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But I also
1: am looking forward to a Dodger Giants series. And I have I'm I'm sorry I have to tell you this, but I'm rooting for the
0: Giants. Well, I'm really hoping. Um, well, I think first of all, I think the Rays make the World Series again. I hope, uh, hope the Dodgers make the World Series again. We have a rematch, but in a utopian world, it would be the Dodgers-Yankees. I've been waiting for that World Series since I was a little kid. I would love to see that. You
1: and me both, brother. Yeah. You and me both. But I have to say, and you know, I, I love my Yankees, but uh, Tampa has their number. And Tampa is an incredible
0: team. I love the way they play baseball. Yeah. We talked about that when we shot the podcast in your studio. We both are Rays fans. And, yeah. and then, you know. Love the way yeah. they go about their business. Yeah, me too. Well, Andy, will you grab the uh, cups over there? We got a little something for you and Patricia. Oh. Mm -hmm. Amy's going to grab one for us. Uh, well those yeah. were just in there, but we'll we'll give those two. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> cool. yeah. Oh, look yeah. At that. We know that you guys aren't. You know, we have these big tumblers, and I figured you guys were more winos. Yeah, we are definitely. Yeah, it's oh, great. Pins and koozies too, and we just want to thank you for coming on and for oh, your generosity and let us shoot over in the I studio. And can never have enough pens. Never have enough. I've never bought enough. a million of those things. That's great. Uh, so anyhow, That's great. I love. I like the color. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so. Vero Beach Social Media, there you go. (laughs) That's how you know he's been in show business. He knows to pose for the camera. (laughs) That's right.
1: There you go. Yeah, one one more time. Mm -hmm. Vero Beach Social Media. (laughs)
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate the uh, the shout out and uh, thank you very much for coming on. And that's going to do it from us. Again, we are here at uh, Coffee House. 1420 with barry shapiro who's with studio on 60 there you go see i'm a quick learner and uh that's gonna do it so thank you again barry and uh, we'll catch you guys next week thanks guys